Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Thanks, church fam. You can grab your seats. Wonderful to see you all here. And can I just say well done, honestly, well done for making time and space for the house of God and and for the family of God because we know that in these seasons, right, it's hectic. You know, you're running here and there. There's all of these things Josh mentioned during the prayer meeting that there's all of these end of year functions that we could be going to instead. But I love that our family prioritizes the house of God. So well done to you. Um, Why don't we just pray, hey? Why don't we just focus again our eyes on Jesus? Why don't we pray together? Thank you, God. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. And God, we just lean in to what you want to say to us. God, I pray that my words would not be my words from my own head, but God, that they would be straight from your heart. God, we want to know your heart more, and this is why we come. This is why we commit ourselves to teaching from church. It's because we want to experience you in a whole nother way. So God, we love you. We pray that you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we are um, partway through our series called Jesus in the Covenants. Um, We've touched on the, well, we've explored actually quite thoroughly. I don't know about you, but has this been really like, you know, we're digging deep this series. It's, yeah, it's intense. Um, But we've uh, explored the, I can't really say this properly, Abrahamic, Abrahamic? covenant. I don't know why that one I get stumped on. Um, Mosaic covenant as well. And so this morning, what we're going to be exploring is the Davidic covenant. So basically the covenant that um, God made with David. But before we get into the real, you know, uh, this passage of scripture and, and the details of it, just want to give you an update of um, something that's happened recently for us as a church with our partnership with Red Frogs. Um, if, if you're new to Lyft or just not aware, we have um, these community partnerships, right? And so we actually partner with other organisations who are doing uh, things in our local community because we thought, why reinvent the wheel when other people are already doing it amazingly well? So Red Frogs Australia is one of those organizations that we partner with and we go into Curtin University with them and many of you have volunteered on the team for either O Week or any other events and um, it's good fun, it's a lot of fun. Um, But the last couple of weeks I've sat down with the coordinators that we uh, uh, basically go through to be on campus um, and we work with two different departments, Place Activation and the Guild. Um, And so I sat with these guys and we're planning out 2019 And can I tell you, can I bring this report to you? I am so excited about 2019 and our partnership with Curtin University because God's favour, his hand, like I'll explain in a moment, but his hand is all over it. I um, came away from one of the meetings with about eight or nine calendar events um, that are basically tailor-made for us as a local church through Red Frogs to go into Curtin University. Um, What you've got to know is that when we started, now we started, let me remember, the 7th of October 2016 was our first event 
on Curtin University um, on the campus itself. And basically what our partnership started off with was that we would do anything and everything in order to be on campus. We basically just wanted to do whatever they wanted us to do so that we could actually have a presence. We could bring the presence of God to our local university. And now with these eight or nine calendar dates, they are tailor-made for us. We are literally going to be on campus for the students in their toughest weeks, in their most stressful situations where their mental health could be, you know, off the scale. Um, We are going to go in there. We are placed there. The presence of God through us is going to move in an incredible way. So I'm excited for that. But then the other partnership as well, uh, the other meeting I came away from, uh, the, the coordinator was telling me that Curtin actually has culled a majority of the organisations that they bring on campus. But she said, but Red Frogs Australia is not one that we are looking to get rid of anytime soon because they see the value that we bring to students. Apparently, they survey the students and it always comes back with, we love Red Frogs, they saved my life at Levers. Or, you know, they're just there at the right place, the right time, whether it's at a TAV party when I'm feeling low or whether it's during those stressful weeks, exam weeks, we're getting really good feedback from the students and so the guild are like and place activation are like we are keeping you guys around so that is awesome coming up this week on Wednesday my last little update bit of news is that this Wednesday I will be sitting down with the head of residences at Curtin University. So um, Hayden, who heads up Red Frogs for WA and myself, we're going to meet with this person who basically has the keys to all the students um, who live on campus uh, on Curtin University. And what you might not know about me is that I actually received Jesus. I got saved when I was sitting in my bedroom with a friend. Uh, like literally, I wasn't in a church. I was in my room. I was in a living space within my house. And so I'm really excited that next year we would have the opportunity to be in those living spaces of the houses of these students in Curtin University. I'm excited that I get to be on the other side now of the relationship where I get to be telling these students about Jesus and hanging out with them in their living rooms. And I'm just so excited for what God is going to do through our partnership. Come on, can we just give God some praise? this morning where he has taken our partnership and the team would know that you know there are some weeks where it is discouraging where uh, I've personally rocked up to things but then it's so great to see people like Sandy and Michaela who are just there and they've got these big smiles on their faces and and you know that helps me it really does but there are definitely times where I've been discouraged and just thought God I'm not seeing the fruit that I thought this ministry would bear. I'm not seeing the fruit that I thought this partnership would bear. But then without my knowledge, God just didn't let me in on what he was doing. But all the while in the background, God was positioning us. And maybe, you know, maybe he was testing us as a church, whether we would actually care for these students enough to stick around in the times that we didn't see fruit. Maybe, I don't know. But, you know, all the while God was moving. He was orchestrating things so that we would be positioned to to step into people's homes next year, to literally have conversations in their living rooms about who he is. And so God is always at work. And and as I was uh, studying this covenant that God made with David, that was the overarching theme that, that came across to me. It was this whole idea that God uses people 
to fulfill what he has destined. And, you know, I believe it wasn't just for people who were in the Bible, but it's for you and me. It's Christians who walk the earth today where God still has this plan and he wants to execute it through you and I. And so today we're going to explore that covenant. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's a bit of text, but Praise the Lord. This is one of those covenants where it's really easy to understand what's going on. There's no animals being slaughtered, but hey, Pastor Nate did such a good job at explaining that, right? Very visual, helped all of us visual people out. It was great. Um, But this one's pretty easy, so you can follow along with us. All right, so it says this. After the king, David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, cedar wood being very high quality wood, um, while the ark of God remains in a tent. That doesn't really need any interpretation. Uh, Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have and have done ever since the time I appointed the leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. My text is just loading, sorry. Sorry. Could I grab that off you, Nick? don't know what's happening with my notes. All right. Where were we? Give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish your, his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Awesome. All right, so what is happening in this passage? Let's take a look at the first part of that passage. Sorry. I don't know why my notes aren't working. 
Ah, here we go. Awesome. We're back. Thanks, team. I don't know if you guys did anything. Maybe it was the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So what we see happening in this first part of the passage is that God had given rest to David, being the king, and all of Israel from their enemies. And so in this place of rest, in this place of peacefulness, we see David's true heart desires actually come to the surface, which is really amazing. And what God actually, what David, sorry, desired to do was to actually do more for God than what was required of him. You see, King David had this military background. That's kind of how he rose in the ranks through uh, the army of Israel. And so with that military background, God appointed him on the throne partly because he was the one to wipe out the enemy and clear the land so that Israel could actually live in the land. They could actually occupy this land that God had reserved for them. And so that was David's primary uh, appointment to the throne. That's why he was there. But the cool thing was that in David's heart, he wanted to do more for God. He saw that he lived in this palace of crazy quality. It's like a mansion, you know, if you think of the ones in Apple Cross or whatever. He lived in that and then he and then he saw what God was dwelling in and he's like, surely God, you're worth so much more than that. And so God, I want to I wanna build this house for you. But the thing is, David, what he had in mind was that he wanted to build this temple where it would be a fixed position, this one place where people would come and worship God. But God had an eternal perspective in mind because we do see that, in fact, the temple was built. Um, It was built by Solomon, David's son, because that was the work that God uh, had set apart for Solomon to do. It wasn't for David to do, but it was for Solomon to do. But we see in Mark 14, 58, it says, We heard him, being Jesus, say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days I will build another that is made without hands. And so, yes, Solomon went to build the temple. That's what he did. But God's plan was always to eventually bring this eternal temple where not people had to come to God, but where This temple was in the form of a person through Jesus so that whoever had faith in Jesus, whoever believed that he came and died for their sin, they would have access into this, into God's presence. They could come. Worshippers everywhere didn't have to congregate in this one place from all across the world. But in fact, God was coming to man. And we see that as a beautiful theme of Christmas, that Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means God with us. And so that was God's plan all along. He wanted to send Jesus so that God would be coming to man and not the other way around. And so, but what I love, so right, we have David wanting to do this thing for God and God had this master plan in mind. So he's like, you know what, don't worry about that. I've got that all sorted, but I'm going to make a house for you instead. But I love that what God does is that he honours David's heart's intention. You see, I used to read this passage with a bit of a tone of God thinks because, you know, David has killed many people through um, fighting Israel's battles and things like that. I thought God kind of came with the tone of, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to build the, the temple where the presence of God would be housed? Why would you think that I would ask you to do that of all people? But, you know, when I dug a little bit deeper into this passage, that God was not using that tone with David at all. In fact, God was using the tone where, 
where he was actually touched, where his heart was actually blessed. It was moved um, by David's intention. He, God actually received that as a gift of worship, even though he actually denied David from building the temple. And, you know, what I found is that, well, I'm so excited for 2019 and, and we've got a theme on our heart, Pastor Nate and I, and, and we're just so excited to roll that out to you in Feb next year. But can I tell you that I believe today and through the rest of this covenant series that God wants us to deal with our things. He wants us to deal with things that have held us back from giving him everything so that we can go into 2019 with a fresh slate, with a clear perspective. And you know, one of the things that God placed on my heart is that there are people here, there are people who call Lift Church home, who like David, have been denied of some things, of doing some things for God. Maybe you had these amazing plans in your head. Maybe it was a business plan. Maybe it was an investment into a relationship. Maybe it was here serving at church where you wanted to do that for God, but you didn't see any fruit. You didn't see any success and you thought that was God actually disapproving of you. You thought that was God holding you at arm's length. But can I tell you that God actually receives your heart for him as the gift. God actually receives your intention of wanting to live a life, a whole life, wholeheartedly for him. That's actually what blesses him. What results from that, that's actually all in his hands. It's according to the works that he has for you, which we know he has for us because in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared. He prepared them in advance for us to do. But, you know, some of us, because we haven't seen success, maybe we've seen failure, we actually start to believe that God has no good works for us in store. Everything we've tried, we failed at. Or everything I've, we've tried to do for God, we failed at. And, and, you know, if we don't deal with the fact that God actually approves of us, that God receives our heart and our intentions for him as a gift, then we're going to go into 2019 thinking, well, I tried that and it didn't work. I tried that for God he didn't bless it. I tried that for God and he never rocked up. Can I tell you this morning, the heart that God desires from us is just to simply want to live for him. That's what we saw in David. And we see that with this heart, I don't know, I believe that maybe this is why God covenanted with David in this way, because he had this heart that, God, no matter what it looks like, I just want to work for you. I just want to live for you. I just want to have my whole life radiating who you are. That's the heart that God desires of each and every one of us. That's all he wants. And so that brings me to the question of why did God bless David so much? It was something that I was really, really grappling with like yes David had this great heart but I don't know whether you picked up as we're reading that covenant that a lot of this is about David a lot of this is actually blessing David yes the the goal the ultimate goal is to bring Jesus and God's kingdom here to earth and establish its rule and reign forever but through that process David was being crazy blessed crazy blessed let's take a look at um, just quickly what God actually promised David through this covenant so it says, I will make your name great. 
That's the first thing. I will provide a place for my people Israel, which being the king, right, that's something you'd be concerned about, a place for your people who, who didn't have a place at that point. I will also give you rest from all your enemies who would not want that. The Lord himself will establish a house for you. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, which never actually happened previous to this, by the way. So David's being set up here. And God goes on to say, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Talking about David's descendants. My love will never be taken away from him. The thing is that God didn't have to promise David anything really besides what would actually introduce Jesus into our world. He didn't have to promise all of these good things uh, to him and to his descendants that God would never take his love away from them, that God would always be a father to them. He didn't have to do any of that. And that question absolutely frustrated me this whole week. And and I remember chatting to Nate and, and I was just like, Nate, I like, I'm getting revelation from this covenant, right? But one thing that I just can't grasp, one thing that has a massive hole in my, makes a massive hole in my understanding is this whole thing of why would God be so good to David? Why it just looks like God is good and so he just wanted to bless David. That, that was just God's heart. And that's exactly what God's heart was. You know, God showed me that his father heart, that, and I know it's hard for some of you to hear this because you don't have great fathers. You don't have fathers who have loved you, who have shown, who've shown their care, their concern, who have encouraged you. Maybe for some of you, you don't even know your dad anymore. Maybe you've been, um, you know, you've been, uh, that relationship has been broken and, and it's hard for you to even believe that God would be a good father, let alone just a father. But, you know, through this covenant, what God highlighted to me was that he is a good father, that his heart, his desire for David, but not just David, for each and every one of his kids, is to simply show that he loves you, that he cares for you. You know, this morning, you've got to get this. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be kind to you. And I know for some of you, everything within you is saying, no, God's not kind. <laughs> He's, he's not kind to me. I, I don't know a loving father. I don't know that he cares for me. He hasn't shown it. God's desire is to show you that he loves you, that he cares for you deeply, that he wants to show you by being kind to you. And, you know, some of us walk around uh, with that thinking that God absolutely hates us, that God is so not for us, that he has no good intentions towards us. But you know what? More than, how can you get more than loving God, uh, than God loving you, but he loves you, but he also takes care of what concerns us. You know, for David, we see that what concerned him was to have descendants, was to have a line where God, where they'd be able to walk with God, that God's presence wouldn't ever be um, broken away from them, that they would always know his love. That was his deepest desire. And I know for parents in this room, come on, what more do you want, right, than for your kids to know the love of God and 
the presence of God all of their life. That was David's concern. But you know what? God sees our hearts. He sees what we're concerned about. He sees when we, we are trying to love our spouse or our family and we just don't know how to show it. He knows. He sees it. He understands. He gets that you're concerned when your kids go out, you know, for parties on the weekend or whatever and, and you don't know what time they're going to be home. He gets that. He knows that that's a deep concern that you have. He gets that more than anything, you want to be a good provider for your family so that your children can be like what the Bible says, can be arrows in your quiver that you do get to shoot out, where they do get to be set up for life. He sees it, he sees it, he sees it, and he's making provision for it. That's what we see. God sees us, he loves us, he knows what concerns us, and he's making provision for it. And, you know, we know this. We know that God is good to us no matter what, no matter, yeah, no matter what we do. We see this because in 1 Kings 11, it talks about Solomon and it talks about so David's son Solomon and how even though God made this covenant with David, Solomon walks away from God. It says this about Solomon. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives, oh my goodness, of royal birth, that's of royal birth, and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. How sad, how sad. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. We see that Solomon willfully, willfully, he knew that it was wrong, but we saw that he willfully married these women that he wasn't meant to marry. And yet God still, cov the covenant that he made with David was still fulfilled. Jesus did in fact come. God in fact set up his eternal reign, his eternal kingdom. This covenant was fulfilled. But why? You know, Sol Solomon walked away. Yes, David stayed true, but Solomon walked away. And so why? Why would God be so good to David, be so good to his descendants? And it's because God is good. It's because he's good. He can't help but be good to us. That's who he is. That's his nature. That's his character. And so God is good and he does good to us. And even when we spite him, that's what Solomon did. He willfully went against, against what he knew of God. He willfully went against, and yet God, because he was good, stayed true to his word, and he stayed true to his covenant with David. You know, another thing that God pointed out to me is that when God's promises are all on him, it means that it's not on us at all. And we can actually focus on God's grace. We can focus on his love. We can focus on him making a way for his covenant, for his promises to, to come about. And you know, 
what I realized was that when we can continue to focus on all of our promises being fulfilled by God, is that we don't have to take it on on our own selves. It doesn't have to become about our performance or how good we are, but it's all dependent on how God is. You know, the reason why I, I believe that God made it that way was that because when we start to believe that we can earn God's grace, that we can earn His promises, it leads us down a path where we're either really proud and really arrogant and we don't actually need God to live this abundant life or we go down the other way where we believe of ourselves as these pathetic people, these worm-type people and, and that's far from who God's called us to be. That's far from the image that He has given us as well. You know, Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You know, our goodness is like filthy rags to God. That's what our goodness is to Him. Like I said, we can't earn God's grace. We can't earn what God has provided for us. It's all dependent on how good God is. And that takes the weight, that takes the pressure off of us. Because I don't know about you, but the pressure of performance can get to me sometimes. And it actually cripples me. You know, with this Curtin University, with the breakthrough that we've seen there, I could have, uh, I mean, I did get discouraged with what um, was going on. But if I felt like it was all dependent on me, then I'd be busting my gut. I'd be working more than what I should be and not leaving any gap for God's grace to simply work and his presence to simply move. But then on the other way as well, if when this breakthrough comes, I think, oh, this is because of how good I am, then again, that pressure comes and really all glory in my head goes to me instead of going to God instead of going to God. And I love that what David does um, later in the passage, it says that David came into the presence of God. He came into the presence of God to pray. He didn't just, you know, on his way to the supermarket or whatever, be like, yeah, thanks God. Thanks for what you did there. Thanks for that covenant there or on his way to something or in the car. No, he set aside precious time with God just to say, God, thank you. You didn't have to promise anything to me. You didn't have to do any of this for my descendants, but you did. God, thank you. And I love that that was David's heart. He knew that it wasn't on him. It wasn't how good he was, but he carved out that time to actually glorify God in it all. Band, if I can get you to come up and help me, that'd be great. You see, this covenant shows a lot of God's heart towards us. It shows that he loves us unconditionally, that he just wants to be good to us. David shows us the kind of heart that we as God's people should have, the heart where we just want to live wholeheartedly for God. It shows us this great relationship that we can have with God. But this covenant also, like the other covenants we've explored, points us to Jesus. And what we see in this covenant is that Jesus is the ultimate picture of God's goodness towards us. You see, this scripture, this passage, and I'll read it to you again shortly, but the passage is talking about how Solomon was this king who sinned. But we see that through the generations to come that Jesus would be the king of kings, sinless, 
but who gives his life for sinners. You know, we have to read that part of the scripture again. I'm going to read it to you, but we're going to insert the names of the people who God was specifically talking, to, talking about. It says this when he's promising that Solomon would be the one to build a house. And then he goes on to say, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he, Solomon, you and I, does wrong, I will punish him, Jesus, with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, us, Solomon, and Jesus. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he, when you and I do wrong, the punishment is on Jesus. And we know that because in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. I love that scripture. I love that God was so specific to say, you know what, no matter what you've done, I'm actually going to take the punishment. Yes, there are going to be consequences because what loving father would not give you a consequence for something bad you have done? No one would. But the punishment, the eternal death that we actually all deserve because of sin, And the Bible talks plenty about that. But that's the punishment that we actually deserved. Eternity separated from God's love. But God said, I'm going to take that. And I'm going to provide sacrifice. I'm going to provide Jesus, my son, who is sinless who is blameless, who lived this life without sin so that the punishment could be on him. He's my son. He is God. And so he can bear this weight of punishment. He can bear this weight of sin so that you, my sons and daughters, can forego punishment, but just simply through believing in Jesus, believing that he is Lord and that he is Savior from sin, He will take your punishment that you deserved, that I deserved, and he would bear the weight of it and I would never have to. I can live a life free. I can live my eternity in God's presence, knowing his love. And I love that that's what Jesus provided for us. He is that temple. He is the presence of God that we can come to in faith. But he is also that good king, that sinless king who took on our sin because we couldn't bear the weight and the punishment of it. If I can get everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, if you're not already, I know God is moving here. I know God is moving here. You know, for some of you, You're struggling to find peace. You're struggling to find 
peace and this rest from this sin that keeps on knocking at the door of your heart. But Jesus is here today and he wants you to hand over, bearing that weight, trying to bear the weight of your own sin. I love that this whole passage of Scripture is set up at a time where David was at peace. You know, Jesus' sacrifice was so that we could actually experience this peace, not in moments, but for all of eternity, all of our life here on earth and throughout eternity. And so this morning, if you know that your heart is far from God, maybe you've been doing this church thing. Maybe you've been coming week in, week out, but your heart is still far from God. This morning, He comes to you. He sent Jesus to come to you so that He could be God with us, Emmanuel. He came to take on the punishment of your sin so that if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith and your trust in Him, that He would take that punishment for you and give you life in exchange for that death. And so this morning, if that's you, if you are far from God, if you know you're not right with God in your heart, then this morning I would love to lead you in a prayer that says, God, I want to get right with you. And so this morning, we're going to pray this prayer together. You can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you to be the Lord and Saviour of my heart. I exchanged my sin for your gift of life. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.